Hey there, welcome into the Orlando Magic High Performance Podcast presented by Advent Health. I'm your host, Jake Chapman. It is Monday, May 4th. I hope everyone had a safe, very healthy weekend and hoping for the same here in the week ahead. Of course, my guest today has been the head trainer for the Orlando Magic since the summer of 2018. He spent some time uh, in uh, past life with Virginia Tech, Marquette, and the Washington Wizards. Ernest Eugene, head trainer for the Orlando Magic, is my guest today here on the High Performance Podcast. Ernest, how you doing? Thanks for taking a couple minutes. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Absolutely. Um, I want to get into your background a little bit, Ernest, uh, here in just a moment. But but can you just kind of take me through what your day-to-day is like right now uh, with practice facilities closed? What, what does a head trainer do while we're just sort of in this waiting period? Basketball is coming back at some point, but I know for people as regimented as you and everybody on the high-performance staff, uh, the day-to-day right now has to be just a, a, a series of question marks, I would assume. Absolutely. So uh, I think the the first thing we need to do always is know how our players are doing. So on a daily basis, we send a text to our players, and uh, that text may come in – or that communication may come in the form of a text. It can come in the form of, form of a phone call, FaceTime, whatever it may be, just to see how they're doing. Oh. Uh, because that's our most important asset at this time is our, are our players. So they hear from me daily and I elicit a response from them, from their communication. It may be just simple as, Hey, how you doing? How's your family, et cetera. It may be a little bit more based on the day previously, if they were struggling with something or if they had something going on, family related for themselves related uh, from a health standpoint, whatever it may be during these times, there's also a lot of, uh, mental anxiety that comes along with it. So Mm. understanding those players that uh, may not have a family, maybe by themselves and making sure they're okay, just being at home by themselves or wherever they may be alone. So we've got to touch each player every day. Number one, the second thing we've got to do is we've got to stay on the forefront of what's going on with uh, COVID-19 in regards to uh, testing diagnosis, symptoms, et cetera. And we've got to know that's a challenge for us because that's changing daily. So I I rely on the news as everybody else does, but I also rely on our colleagues, our colleagues in uh, throughout the NBA and other realms of professional sports, also just in medicine in general as well, to know what are they experiencing? What are they seeing? And what are the things that they're combating? So we can be on the front end of that. On top of that, we meet as a High performance staff once a day, uh, probably about four or five times, four or five times a week, and we all come together so we can discuss what's going on with our players from a medical standpoint, what's going with on with our players from a rehab standpoint, what's going on with our players from a health standpoint, how are they mentally hanging in there with all of this, and uh, what do we need to do for each respective player? We'll go through each player and and discuss what those needs are for each one. The, the idea, Ernest, of needing to be plugged in and, and locked in on, on COVID-19, on a global pandemic, I'm sure when you got into sports medicine, it wasn't at the forefront of your mind uh, that it was something that you needed to be up on. And, you know, I think back, um, I'm from Cleveland, the, the Browns, for instance, uh, 10, 15 years ago, I think, had like a MRSA outbreak um, at the facility. Um, that, you know, there were bacteria issues. I can't imagine that you ever thought, Ernest, that you would need to be 
up on um, on on a on a virus, on a global pandemic. How difficult has that been? And and I guess how enlightening has it been for you to kind of dive into that and say, this is part of my world now. I need to be uh, I need to be keyed in on all of this. It's been a lot of fun, actually. To mm. be very honest, uh, we we get into the profession of sports medicine, athletic training, and we don't know what day is going to bring you. Like we could walk into the office one day and we think we're going to have an easy day. And six hours later, we may find ourselves at the ER. We may find ourselves outside of surgery center. We may find ourselves just headed home. Sure. So you never know what each day is going to bring. And that's the beauty of all of this. We're just anxiously awaiting what's going to happen. Every day is not the same. And that's exactly what this pandemic has redefined for us is every day is not the same. We're talking about knees and ankles usually and joint specific related issues and maybe the common colds, et cetera. But now we're dealing with a pandemic and we've got to be on the forefront because we've got to be able to answer the questions, A, that the players have, B, we've got to foresee what are things that we need to do so we're on the the, the uh, forefront of it all. So I, I think it's really fun. I, I think it's exciting. I think it gives us an opportunity to uh, – learn about something we don't get into a lot usually. But it also opens our eyes as healthcare providers and let us know that, hey, this is something that we've got to be abreast on as well. And we've got to be aware of what's going on with it. And, and it just keeps us on our toes. It's fun. You sound like a lifelong learner. You appreciate a challenge, it sounds like. Uh, absolutely. Definitely appreciate a challenge. <laughs> I wanted to ask you about, I've, I've asked some of your uh, some of your colleagues in the high-performance staff, we're talking to Ernest Eugene, he's the head trainer for the Orlando Magic. Have you identified, or it, it sounds like you're approaching all of this, obviously this is a, a really tough situation and there are you know bigger things at play right now um, than, than sports, but this is also our livelihood and this is our life. Have you identified, I, I think we're all sort of reevaluating um, workplaces and being able to work remotely. Are there new systems or new plans um, or just sort of shortcuts maybe even that you are seeing and identifying that maybe, you know, when we get quote unquote back to normal, will you be able to spin some of this forward? Do you think there are um, better ways maybe? And, and if you had to rethink some of your systems and your processes, and, and maybe there are some positives that come out with just your workflow um, that come out of all of this. I think we are re-identifying. The, the biggest thing is social distancing. That, that That's the key to the whole thing. And I understand it's important to wear the mask and people are wearing gloves and going different places. I don't want to touch a door and all of that. But if we touch a door to walk into somewhere, before we take our hands, and we this was before COVID-19 as well, before we take our hands and rub them on our face or lick our fingers or whatever like that may be, We've got to be conscientious enough to know, hey, we better wash our hands because we just touched a door and lots of different people are touching that same door. Mm. So I, I think it alerts us to things that we already knew that we should be doing. I also think it allows us to be more cognizant of being in uh, individuals' personal space. Mm. Psychology tells you for you to be six feet apart, six to 12 feet apart, whatever it may be to give someone their personal space. But I think that's something we already knew we needed to do, but we always didn't do that. Like for instance, if you're at the grocery store, now you look on the floor and it says, next next person stands here, next person stands here. But that's what we already should have been doing because we shouldn't be 
all on top of each other because as we're breathing, we're releasing uh, airborne particles from our body and someone else can potentially take it into theirs. But if we give each other other space, the likelihood of that happening is less and less. And I think as we're treating our athletes and as we get back into the flow of of our normal workday, those are things that, yes, we've already been practicing, but they're going to be even more reinforced to us now. One of the things you mentioned, we had Dr. Joe Carella, the team psychologist, on uh, a couple weeks ago. And one of the things you mentioned was that you seem like your antenna uh, are sort of up for right now uh, is the mental health aspect. And obviously with an athlete, I think one of the really interesting things about all of this is, you know, you take and you mentioned specifically an athlete who might be single. um, Some of the younger guys around our league, and this is a concern, I'm sure, for 29 other um, uh, training staffs across the league. The mental health aspect of not just maybe being alone or, you know, so much downtime, um, the old saying, you know, idle hands, I, I'm sure that's part of it. But also when you strip away competition and when you strip away the routine that really defines a professional athlete's life, I'm sure that's a big concern as well, trying to sort of walk them through this and make sure that mentally they're sharp because basketball is coming back at some point. And I have to think, yeah, we're going to have a little bit of a ramp up period. Um, you know, you would assume before we're right back out there and, and playing at that top level. But I have to think the mental aspect has been something that's been at the forefront of your mind. How difficult has that been to deal with? And, um, and, and maybe what are some of the challenges that you've seen just in terms of keeping guys mentally sharp so that when basketball does come back, they can jump right back in. I think, uh, it's funny you asked me this because, uh, for my uh, thesis at Ohio State, I looked at athletic identity versus student identity. And our athletes identify as athletes. And when you take that identity away from them, they they almost go, oh, whoa, this is a big part of me that is missing. So right. when, when you take away the ability to play basketball, their next, their, their next intent is, well, what else am I supposed to do? <laughs> and I think... That has been a struggle for them, especially our younger guys. Now, now our older guys, I think, uh, more veteran guys, I should say, I think they're they're more along the lines of, well, I have family and I have other adventure, business adventures or goals, ambitions, whatever, whatever. Not saying the younger guys don't, but usually you see that the younger guys, that's how they identify are as athletes, as basketball players. When you take that away, it becomes something that's missing in them. And it creates an anxiety, which uh, I've had a chance to speak with Dr. Joe about that and uh, some other colleagues around the NBA about that as well. But they, they become anxious. They become, I need to get that back because that's what identifies me. That's what identifies what I do. And so I think uh, that's something very important that we need to notice immediately because it can obviously lead to stressful situations. It can obviously lead to other things if we don't identify that early on. Yeah, I think that's fascinating. Dr. Joe specifically said, you know, a sense of purpose. And that, and that, I mean, that's, heck, you and I, you know, if you would have told me in my 20s that I, you, you stripped away my, uh, my career as a radio broadcaster, that, that was my purpose in my 20s. You know, I don't have a family. Uh, and, and, and a lot of people, and healthy or not, a lot of people identify themselves um, by their profession and by their career and sort of pour themselves into it. And you strip that away, and yeah, NBA athlete or not, um, you're going to have to put in, in, into play some coping mechanisms to, to, to deal with that. Absolutely. 
Let me ask you this. Um, the the physical concerns of coming out of this, um, like I said, still no answers just yet, but at some point we're going to get back to basketball. I know there have been a lot of, um, I guess, limitations put in place, and it is different for each guy. Uh, I love, by the way, the story of uh, that, that Nathan told um, of the crew just sort of packing up gym equipment and delivering it. Uh, all over Central Florida, you guys, it, it was kind of like a fire drill, practice facilities closed, and you got to outfit all these different guys in different homes and condos and apartments uh, with stuff to keep them uh, keep them plugged in at the top level uh, and keep them healthy and fresh. When we do come back, again, you assume there will be a bit of a ramp-up period. Uh, players will have access um, to, to facilities before they're out there playing games again. But what are some concerns from an injury standpoint? I'm sure, um, you know, you got to stay on these guys, but not being able to put hands on them and, and monitor them like you normally can. Uh, you just sort of have to trust that they're getting the work in. Where are the injury concerns um, and, and how high on the list of concerns are injuries when we're talking about getting back to basketball? So in, in our uh, group, we, we use the common phrase of spike and load uh, when – you increase your load, all of a sudden you're going to see a spike in all these injuries and, mm-hmm. and uh, all these issues that's going to over, that's going to come about. And I would say we're going to see a lot of that in the overuse area. And obviously, hopefully we don't see it in, in our progression back is going to be one that limits that from occurring, but you're going to see a lot in the overuse. I think uh, you're going to see people trying to do too much too soon, too fast. And, that's why the NBA is going to do a great job of making sure that they have put a structure in place that allows us, us, our athletes to ramp up, gradually progress. So I would look at whatever that time frame they give us. I would treat it as if it's September where, okay, there's going to be some individual workouts. Maybe we're going to do some three on three stuff, not full team stuff yet. And then eventually get back into the team stuff, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I'm in no way a coach. That's Coach Cliff and his staff. Uh, but that's what I would assume it's going to be because that's going to decrease the likelihood of these overuse injuries. As you stated, we're not going to come back and then all of a sudden jump right into games because that's a recipe for disaster, and I, I don't foresee that being the case at all. Uh, but but the overuse injuries the is what you worry about. So those things are like stress fractures, stress injuries. Uh, you, you worry about someone uh, – pulling their hamstring to the point where they're possibly tearing their hamstring. You worry about tears in tendons. So, you know, Achilles tendons and patellar mm. tendons, quad tendons. You, you worry about all that type of stuff, even strains to the musculature that support that those tendons support. So those are things we're going to be looking for. Those are things that we're going to be watching for. And those are things that uh, in our preparation as a complete perf- high performance staff, we're going to hopefully decrease the likelihood of all of it. And more. <laughs> are there ways to keep players, I guess, without access to like a basketball hoop or to to a court? Are there ways to keep players in basketball shape as opposed to just just good conditioning? Um, are, 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 are there different sort of tricks that you can do to kind of keep that rhythm? Because it is such a different, you know, just riding a bike is going to keep your 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 cardio up. But it's a it's a whole different ball game as opposed to the up and down of, of NBA basketball? Like, like what are some of the tricks that you can pull off for somebody? Because not everybody across the league does have access to a court right now. I think, you know, I, I sort of laughed. Everybody just assumes that um, because players make a lot of money, they've got full court gyms in their basements. That's not the case with a whole lot of guys. So how do you keep them sort of in the rhythm 
um, of basketball as opposed to just in shape. I think the the biggest thing we've got to first focus on is their strength. And that's what Nathan and his staff did a great job of. And, and we all did a great job of, I say, of getting, hey, get the truck loaded up and let's go to different places and we're going to deliver this and that and this because we have to keep them strong. The second thing is from a cardiovascular standpoint, we've got to address their needs there. So running, you know, different types of exercises might be uh, circuit exercises, endurance exercises that's really testing cardiovascularly. That's the next thing that we've got to do that, that we've been doing with that. But... The, the old on the old saying that they say is you're never in basketball shape until you start playing basketball again. And yeah. unfortunately, there is some truth to that. There's different things that we can do, obviously, agility drills and uh, reaction drills, even without a basketball, that we can have players do to mimic what they would be doing on a basketball court. But until they get on that basketball court, that's when we really will get them in basketball shape. So. Nothing mimics basketball, getting you in basketball shape, except for playing basketball. Yeah, and that's the tricky part. And uh, and, yeah. and I think that's where we're all, we're all at right now. I mean, I, I we all appreciate that this is this is all very necessary, and it, I think we all sort of sort of see a light at the end of the tunnel. But uh, it can be frustrating. We miss our passions, man. I miss NBA basketball, and and <laughs> the Jordan documentary has just given me a little taste of it. And I'm going, okay, this is good, but I need something now. Uh, hopefully we're able to get back sooner than later. I wanted to let you go uh, before I let you go, Ernest. Um, I wanted to bring up your background, and um, you're a you're a DC native, right? And yes, sir. Um, One and right. Yes, sir. Okay, and you started your career. Um, it looked like your big break. You started with the Wizards, but then you spent a whole lot of time at Virginia Tech, right? That was sort of when you got your career off the ground um, as athletic trainer for the men's basketball program, or you were in uh, Marquette as well. If you could just take me back to the beginning of your career, Ernest, because I'm sure there are a lot of people listening to this who want to end up where you are right now uh, as head trainer of an NBA franchise. Um, Was this always your goal? And and how about just a little of advice uh, for for maybe some younger people trying to get to where you are um, just as far as navigating their way through this business? Sure. Absolutely. So, uh, uh, I did my undergrad at George Washington and my grad work at, Ohio, at the Ohio State University. Yes, you know sir. That. Yes, sir. And uh, in between those two, I did an internship at the Naval Academy working with their football team. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so once I left, uh, once I left OSU, uh, I was fortunate enough to uh, get a season internship with the Washington Redskins, actually. And it, that's, that was kind of like my, my team, my home. It, it, it was like, wow. It, doesn't get any better than this. And then uh, two months into that, my head athletic trainer at the time, Dean Kleinsmith is his name. He gave me the opportunity to interview because he brought it to my attention for an assistant athletic training position with the Wizards. And fortunately enough, I was uh, fortunate to get that position. And I held that position for five years uh, from the Wizards uh, after being there for five years. Another connection uh, brought me to Marquette in regards to, again, not really out there looking for anything at that time. And someone contacted me and it made sense from a lot of different standpoints. And I spent six years at Marquette. Uh, From Marquette, another connection, not really looking for anything at the time as well. Got me four years at Virginia Tech. And at Marquette, I was a men's basketball athletic trainer uh, and also was the director of sports medicine during my last year there. and. At Virginia Tech, I was the assistant AD for sports medicine 
for the four seasons I was there, four years I was there, and I was a men's basketball athletic trainer for those four years as well, which then bought me another connection to the, my current position in Orlando with the Magic. And the, the biggest thing I would say with all of that, and the reason I tell you about these connections is that's what does it. Like, everyone's going to have the necessary certificates and certifications and licensures, et cetera. And everyone's going to have experience because if they wouldn't, didn't have experience, they wouldn't be applying or been, wouldn't be considered for this position, for these positions. But I think people want to hire people that have worked for people that they know. Hope I didn't mm. confuse anybody by saying that. No, but I really all. think it's important to, to say, okay, if I'm looking to hire somebody and colleague A knows a candidate that's applying for the position colleague a knows me because colleague a knows my values what i believe in how i function etc and if colleague a says hey that person would work well into your system well i'm probably going to listen to colleague a and investigate that person a little bit more it doesn't mean that person has the job but the, the way i like to explain it to students is when you are in the process of applying for a job Let's call it a job with the Orlando Magic. You're going to get 500 resumes. And those resumes, they're going to be looked at, but they're not going to be reviewed really carefully. And unfortunately, sometimes those resumes become, okay, who are we really going to look out at out of these 500? And to get out of the 500 pile and to get into the pile of 10 that's really going to be looked at, it takes somebody calling on your behalf, someone coming on your behalf and saying, yes, I vouch for this person. I believe in this person. I support this person. This is what I know about this person. And those 10 people that come out of that that resume pile of 500 becomes the ones that are really going to get a, a, a true look and a true, maybe an interview, maybe a phone call. Let's discuss further. And so it's all about networking and building relationships. Uh, the biggest thing with building relationships to me is you don't just call people when you need them. You call them consistently. I try to have a, a rule of thumb of mine that says, I'm going to reach out to each person once a quarter. And that maybe I'll write them a handwritten note. Maybe I'll call them on the phone. Maybe I'll email them. Maybe I'll text them. Write, call, email, or text. If I can touch every person every quarter that way that I know, that's going to make a world of a difference because I'm going to stay on the forefront of their mind. And that's how you build relationships. That's great advice. It's and that and that translates to the broadcasting field. I can uh, I can speak to that. And it's not like we have very many excuses these days. There's so many different ways, Ernest, to get a hold of somebody. Um, it's very simple, but you're right. It makes a big difference, especially as you start to sort of navigate your way through. And you know, you've been a whole lot of different places. You've worked in the college field. Uh, you've worked in the in the pro field. You've worked in the NFL. I mean, you know, within a couple of years of whatever field you're in, you've got a pretty a uh, pretty wide net of networking that you can cast. And uh, man, I, I, I second everything you said. I think uh, networking and it, and it is something that's kind of lost these days. I think people think um, that all they need is a, is a couple good connections and, and that's not the case. You'd be surprised how small a world it is when people start going through applications, right? Absolutely. And I don't have all the answers. So please teach me as well, Jake. Uh, please let me know how to, how to stay on top of all of that because I, I love to learn from you as well. Oh man, yeah. Um, uh, Twitter, Twitter, Twitter is very helpful. And like you said, I think it's 
you, you never know. You, you'll forget a name from eight, nine years ago, and then you'll just sort of see them pop up, especially in the broadcasting field. Um, and, yeah, absolutely. Reach out and, and keep in touch. And um, it, that's the whole idea of a network, right, Ernest, is you work with one people, uh, one person, and then they work with two people, and then they work with a couple people. And all of a sudden, you're three or four. Uh, you know, it's like the old six degrees of Kevin Bacon. You're, you're just a couple phone calls away from any job uh, across the country, and, and certainly it can span – different fields as well. This has been fantastic, Ernest. I really appreciate the time. I know you guys are very busy. Can't wait for us to get back uh, to some hoops and see you out there and hope you can jump on the pod again sometime. Absolutely. Thanks for the opportunity and thanks for uh, having me. You got it. You got it. There he is, Ernest Eugene. He is the head trainer of the Orlando Magic here on the Orlando Magic High Performance Podcast, which is presented by Advent Health. Make sure you give me a follow on Twitter. It is at Jake Chapman OM. And thanks so much for listening this week. We're back next week. Have a great and a very healthy week, everybody. Mm-hmm.